Hi everyone, I'm Katie Dawson and welcome to Super Creative, a podcast that delivers candid conversations with inspiring women who are thriving in business. Today on the podcast, I speak to Eliana Glover, Managing Director of FSL Foods, a family-run business with 20 years experience sourcing and selling frozen fruit and vegetables. FSL work closely with local and international growers to produce leading retail brands that we find in our supermarket freezers, such as Fruzio, Goodness Kitchen and The Berry Fix, the majority of which are packed by their team in the Nelson-based factory. Ellie's story is slightly different to many of my previous guests. Over the past few years, she's had quite the entrepreneurial journey, which has led to her current role. After identifying a gap in the baking market, Ellie launched Hill Street Whole Foods in early 2019, which offered easy, affordable and nutritious plant-based baking mixes for the modern baker. Building the business from the ground up, Hill Street Whole Foods quickly acquired a presence and stockist throughout Aotearoa and Australia. However, Ali faced an unexpected challenge in 2021 when a trademarking dispute arose from an Australian company. Faced with the cost of continuing the legal battle or rebuilding the brand under a new name, Ali made the choice to sell Hill Street to New Zealand company Mrs Rogers, who rebranded the products under their existing baking line. It was then that Ali refocused her attention to the family business, taking on the role of Managing Director at FSL. So as you can see, in a few short years, Ali has learnt a lot of business lessons, the good and the bad, from the awesome highs to massive challenges. There is so much we can learn from Ali's story, and I absolutely loved this chat. Like with all of my guests, Ali was so open and willing to share all the details of her business journey and her experience and learnings make for such an inspiring listen. I really loved talking to her about her current role and learning more about the world of FMCG a world which I actually don't really know much about. We talk about the broad scope of her role, from business strategy, pricing and logistics, to new product development and marketing. There is so much creativity and opportunity, and I personally learnt so much. Not long after I chatted to Ali, I received a package containing Goodness Kitchen's new strawberry and blueberry chop bites, which you will hear about in this episode. I am obsessed. They are delicious. Now, I know I'm saying this a lot at the moment, but this again is a non-spawn, unpaid endorsement. But I have to say, I have purchased many bags of Choc Bites since being sent my gifted package. Anyway, to learn more about FSL, you can visit their website, fslfoods.co.nz, or find them on Instagram, at fslfoodsltd. But probably the best way you can learn about their delicious products is by finding them in the freezer aisle of your supermarket. I know you will love my chat with Ali as much as I did. Hi, Eliana, and welcome to my podcast. Morning, Katie. Lovely to be here. Now, I'm going to start off by asking you to describe who you are and what you do. I am Eliana Glover, and I'm the Managing Director at FSL Foods. So we produce quality frozen fruit and veg products. And we retail those under the brands Goodness Kitchen, Fruzio, The Berry Fix. I was also the founder of Hill Street Whole Foods, a baking company that I then sold in 2021. And I mention that now as I feel like it's played quite a pivotal role in who I am today and my business journey. I love it. I've started these podcasts now by describing how I have come to be aware of you or whatever. And Hill Street Whole Foods was actually on my list 
right back when I started the podcast nearly three years ago. I brainstormed all these brands and businesses that I'd come across and liked and all of that and started as I go through the podcast, as I start getting guests, I go through my list and be like, oh yeah. And so I went maybe a year or so ago and was like, oh, Hill Street. Yeah. And I was like, hey, hold on. Things have changed. (laughs) And then it wasn't until we were connected through the lovely Liv from Common Ground and she was like, no, this is Ellie from Hill Street. And so I was like, oh, this is perfect because I do want to talk about that journey, but I also do want to talk about what you're doing now and everything that comes with that. I'm, I have deliberately not read too much into what you're doing now. I've got a very broad overview because I would like to hear it from your mouth. So yeah, anyway, that's the background. I've been aware of you for a long time. So I'm actually thrilled that we get to talk and we yeah, get to hear I'm about excited. your whole business journey. <laughs> and it is a hell of a journey. <laughs> Good. I love those ones. So let's take it back first. Where are you from? What's your background? What did you study? All that kind of thing. I was born in Wellington, but we moved around quite a lot when I was younger. I lived in Wellington, then Sydney, back to Wellington, then moved to a farm on Tap- in Tapawera which is in kind of Nelson, Tasman, and then we settled in Nelson. I went to high school in Nelson, and if someone were to ask, I'd probably say I'm from Nelson, but it was quite a mixed bag in terms of a childhood and where we lived. And I think that actually plays into probably my personality quite a bit now. Like I love walking into a room where I know nobody and we've got the opportunity to learn something and meet different people. And I think that probably comes from having done that so many times growing up. It's just inherent in, yeah. your, uh, in your soul. <laughs> yeah. And I talk to my partner and he's the polar opposite. It's his worst nightmare to walk into a room mm. where he knows no one. So it's quite funny. It's good <laughs> um, opposites attract. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but so no, I went to high school at Nelson College for Girls and then headed down to Dunedin to Otago University, which I was very excited about, crossing the days off my calendar. I think my parents were also crossing the days off their calendar. And I studied Master of Business down there, so in marketing and economics. So you knew back then you loved business and all that, or was that just a this is what you do when you go to university? No, I think probably from the age of maybe 13, I'd say when, you know, you put business studies at school and you have to put together a, a business case and make some money and then talk about yeah, how successful it was. I think I went to the markets and sold raspberry canes as my first business. <laughs> and I just always knew that at some point I wanted to create a business. And I think probably a lot of that is growing up My parents are very entrepreneurial. So my dad uh, worked in investment banking and then went into business. And mum was an accountant and then went into business. They launched FSL Foods 20 years ago, which is a business that I've taken over the management of. At the dinner table from a very young age, we were talking about food and business. And that was very commonplace at home. Other families maybe talked about rugby and was happening at school, but we were talking talking about P&L. Yeah, (laughs) from quite a young age. And I think that very much informed my passion for both food and business. But yeah, I think going to uni business was the obvious choice. And it's quite funny. I had no intention of going into the food industry when I was studying, but I actually did my thesis on the viability of exporting organic products to China. So 
yeah, it was funny how you yeah totally. But yeah, so I finished uni and I was just itching to get overseas. So I actually chased the snow for a couple of years and skied all around the world. So I lived in the states and Canada and France and just skied so many amazing places. did a lot of different jobs over that time, hospo, retail, mystery shopping, cleaning, you name it, just whatever. I, I talk about this all the time, but exactly what I think you should be doing in your early 20s is having those adventures. And- oh, I wouldn't change a thing. And traveling no. by yourself, you learn so much about yourself and how to interact with just all walks of life and appreciate all sorts of different people and cultures and hands down don't regret a thing about taking a couple of years before I guess deep diving into my career. So after doing that for a couple years, I then moved to Sydney and I guess I started my career in marketing. So worked for a digital marketing agency for a while and then worked for quite a short stint at a corporate, so a big property company and hated that, absolutely hated that. (laughs) When you're working in marketing or a creative space and you come up with a great idea and when you work in quite a corporate environment, you just watch it get broken down bit by bit by each stakeholder. The Mm. the final product is just not what you imagined at all. So I found that quite soul-destroying, to be honest. So only lasted a year there, good learnings. Mm. And then I got, I guess, a dream job working in marketing in the ski industry. So I was basically promoting and marketing all these different ski resorts and destinations around the world to Australians. Amazing. Yeah, and I loved that. And I got to travel and ski and do all the things that I loved. So that was a really fun few years. But I still really had this itch or this desire to create a business from scratch. And I think, yes, I loved working in sales and marketing, but that's just one piece of the puzzle. And I had, I just really wanted to understand the operations side, the financial side. How do they all piece together to make a successful, profitable, exciting business? So I think I definitely still had that itch to scratch. And often I would be on my walks or walking. I was living in Bondi at the time, walking like Bondi to Bronte and be listening to my podcast and getting inspired and thinking, oh, this is a business idea or what about this one? I'd call my parents and be like, I think I've got it this time. This is the idea. And they'd say, oh, what about this? What about this? They were great. They listened to a lot of dud ideas. But I did then, I guess, spot a bit of a gap in the market in the baking mix aisle. So people always used to ask me at Hill Street, oh, are you, are you an amazing baker, a real foodie? And I was actually a terrible baker. I'm team baking mix, but I think living in Bondi, there was a real trend towards clean eating. I think awareness of gluten-free, dairy-free, all of those kind of allergens was growing. And so I get quite stressed around what to bake or cook for people when they came around. And so I go down to the baking mix aisle and I'm like, oh God, is this all I've got to choose from? Just like it- Betty Crocker or Ernest Adams or those kind of stock standard, yeah. Yeah, it was Betty Crocker and I'm like, oh man, this is this is the same recipe that was around like 40 years ago. And so I expect an idea to create something for the modern shopper and meet those needs. So yeah, I took a chance and I guess launched or my foray into FMCG and, and launched Hill Street Whole Foods with kind of my first baking mix range. So to go back a little bit, sorry, I know this is what happens, but you have that idea, you're in Bondi, 
what do you do from there? Yeah, from there. Oh, so, like so many steps. I know so <laughs> many steps. But in a kind of, you get this idea, you obviously probably talk about it with your parents. Yeah. This is what I'm thinking. They're like, okay, we think it might have legs, all of that kind of thing. Like, where do you start? You know what? I actually, I pitched this one to my parents and they were like, yeah, this one might have legs. And they're like, go put together a business proposal because also I had some funds, but I wasn't. I was going to say, are you pitching to them as potential investors yeah. as well? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, like, I'm, yeah. I'm not made of money. Yeah. I'm mid twenties. Yeah. Um, so I needed an investment partner. So whether it was going to yeah. be them or a third party, the, the first cab off the rank was them. Yeah. And so I put together my business proposal and I pitched it to them and they just flat out rejected it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> they awesome. rejected it actually three times before I right. crossed the line. Yeah. And it was so funny. I actually found that business proposal the other day. And Good. it was so funny to read through. Just, I can see why they said no. Didn't have the fundamentals or didn't have like the yeah, understanding of financials or hadn't tested certain theories. and But it was actually a real wow moment in terms of look at how much I've learned in that mm. five or six years from that. Oh, looking back is the best yeah. in that sense. Because I, I would be surprised if at, in your mid-20s you write the perfect business plan <laughs> on a product that you have not got any experience yeah. in. Like, <laughs> it's, but that's all part of it. So they finally come on board. Yeah, yeah. But I think the key step um, is so one of the amazing things about the FMCG industry is all the sales data that you have access to. And so you can buy what's called an express report or a snapshot report. And it's two grand, two and a half grand maybe. And it basically shows you all the sales data for your category. And so you can see your competitors which products are um, selling the best, which flavors are trending up and down. Um, you can see how like your rate of sales and how many units you're selling at each store each week. Mm -hmm. And you can really extrapolate out from that your best and your worst case scenario. Yeah, cool. So if, if anyone were listening and thinking about launching an FMCG business, that is hands down where I would start to just prove right. that your concept is viable, financially viable. So that was the next step. And when got that data, pulled it apart and said, yep, yeah, okay, there's a real opportunity here. Mm -hmm. I can see gluten-free trending. I can see that there's a real gap in the market. Yeah, did the numbers in terms of, okay, this is the average rate of sale. If we get into 100 stores, this would be my turnover and that's a good place to start. So that was like the missing puzzle piece, I guess. From there, I decided so I was obviously living in Australia at the time but I moved back to New Zealand to launch Hill Street and I think the main reason I did that is I definitely had more contacts in the industry in New Zealand and there were just lower barriers to entry I felt like I had more of a shot yeah it's a good test market yeah that, isn't it how did you find like your original manufacturers and all that Oh, so much of it was just like calling people, Googling, asking. In some ways, I had no idea what I was doing in those yeah. early days. So I literally would just Google contract manufacturers who did similar products, would email them. A lot of them were allergy-free environments. So then everyone who said no to me, I would just say, that's cool. Can you recommend someone else I can try? So at that point, you had really, from that business plan, you have stronger you want it to be gluten-free, allergy-free, like you've got all those really core basics yeah. of 
the fundamentals of the brand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Had you decided at that point what products you were wanting to launch with? Or was that still up in the air at that point? I knew a few. So looking at, again, the snapshot data, I was like, okay, there has to be a brownie or a chocolate something because that is hands down the top seller. Yeah. So I tried initially to see if I could do some kind of recipe formulation and development and even the birds didn't want to eat some of my you're like I realized at that point yeah (laughs) yeah and that was when I was like okay it's time to hand that over to the professionals and yeah so worked with a couple different people to develop I guess the the recipes or the formulations then went and found that contract manufacturer that that did take a while finding the right person and someone who would take a chance Mm. on me I guess because you're quite small scale well, we certainly were in those early days. A lot of contract manufacturers are like, oh, it's, you know, not worth our time. Yeah. Yeah. And then definitely invested quite a bit into the branding. I was going to say, because that, I feel like you've probably heard this a million times, right? But that is, that was what just made it pop, what just made it such a cool product. Because all of a sudden you're like, what? Yeah. And in the supermarket? Like, it was so cool. It yeah, was so and you think you walk through the supermarket aisles and there are so many, I guess they're probably legacy brands, right? So they were, a lot of the brands that are in the supermarket have been there for decades. And so you're, you're seeing an iteration of an original brand, but it's not very often that you walk down the aisle and you're like, holy shit, that's really cool branding or that product is popping off the shelf to me. And the reality is you need your product to sell at point of sale. So you have a couple of seconds to catch someone's interest or convert them or get them to pick up the product. And so I knew that I really wanted branding that kind of set me apart from the rest of the category. And they were a lot of like red and orange boxes and lots of information, lots of pictures. And so went quite simplistic. So you found an agency and just effectively briefed them like it needs to stand out I want color did you use smack bang is that right yeah Yeah. I had always actually fangirled a little bit over Tess um, and smack bang design so they based in Sydney and so it was from when I was living in Sydney and I'd seen a lot of the work that they'd done and they did an amazing job at Mm. implementing that and the, the really cool thing about our branding is it transcended across supermarkets but into other retail like gift retail or we were in father rabbit in different types of stores and it also worked really well online so we had a really strong e-commerce presence so I launched in when was that so I was still working in in consulting and marketing and then quit that at the end of 2018 and then launched Hill Street I think Jan 2019 yeah so nerve-wracking we don't know people gonna think and but the response was amazing I remember seeing my first online order coming through and it was maybe like $40 or something and I was like oh my god I've made it how did you launch were you in supermarkets was that your big hurdle is getting into supermarkets did you launch in supermarkets and then tell the world we I think first launched online and but while pitching to supermarkets yeah because that's a really big process, isn't it? Getting into supermarkets is a massive Yeah, I think know, it's definitely the, the biggest hurdle. And there are two ways you can approach supermarkets. So you can sell in store by store. That obviously requires a lot of time, effort, resource. So the ideal path to getting into supermarkets is 
to sell into kind of the category team or, or the head office and then they range that product across stores. I went down that path and they were the category managers that I was working with were really responsive to the product, really excited by it. I spent a lot of time getting my pitch deck right and investing in the imagery and again, the branding and making sure it all really looked like there was... You must have learned so much from that whole... It's a baptism of fire, isn't it? Like you're just... How old were you at that point? Oh God, how old would I have been? Maybe around like 29. Yeah, so it's a bit cool going in and pitching your product to supermarket, you know, and you and I guess... Do you go into all the supermarket groups? Um, so we, in that those first few years, were ranged in foodstuffs. So that's all kind of New World, Pack and Save, Foursquare, and got ranged nationally there. We were in kind of Faro. We were in a lot of those like gift retail stores. And then we had quite a strong e-commerce presence. We've had ongoing conversations with Countdown, but never quite got that across the line. But probably our breakthrough moment was pitching to Woolworths in Australia. So they took the product and ranged it nationally, which was mega. Yeah, which was huge and had only been in business, God, like a year and a half maybe or something. So in hindsight, maybe we rushed into that opportunity a bit, but we pitched and then they were like, cool, we want the product now. And it was real a real scramble to find the right partners, to get it over to Australia, to be able to support the launch, to have the launch campaign and everything. So it was a really big escalation of the business, but also an amazing validation of what I'd created and built up. But it did, that was probably one of the highlights of Hill Street, but also a catalyst for potentially where I went a bit wrong. Like you said before, you can't find Hill Street anymore. (laughs) And that's because in 2021, we had a real speed bump. So we were, business was going really well. It was also COVID. So baking was huge across these few years. And, you know, we were going from strength to strength. So a couple of years into the business, you're everywhere here, you're in Australia. Yeah. Everyone's baking. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's it's all kind of trending in the right direction. And then in 2021, it was like mid-year, I received the cease and desist letter that was sent to myself and to Woolworths in Australia, basically from another company, another Australian company saying they had trademarked Hill Street and that we were basically violating their their trademark and so we had obviously worked with a lawyer and gone through that process but she had said that Hill Street was too generic to trademark the word and we should just trademark the logo. So you had followed the right process in the sense that you'd sought legal advice you ticked yeah. that box going I into thought Australia. I'd tick that box yeah, yes, and yeah. In, in hindsight yes I should have looked into it more or done more right. due diligence there but kind of you don't know what you don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, we basically got into quite a, a heated legal battle with the, this company in Australia. The guy who actually headed up that company was an ex-lawyer, so he was quite aggressive. On Happy the- to keep going. Yeah. 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 And I kind of hit this point where it was like, okay, do I keep, and you know, it was starting to get really expensive as well. So we keep fighting this legal battle. 
or do we spend the money to rebrand? But that's a huge investment as well because you're rebranding and you're almost building up your brand equity from scratch. It was it threw up a lot of big questions. I guess the other thing that I had to think about was, well, it's not just my money. It feels very personal to me because I put my blood, sweat and tears into this and, and built mm. it up. But it's also my parents' money. So I have to think about that and be a little bit more kind of step back and be a bit more objective. Yes. around that in terms of, okay, this additional money it's going to require, is that the best use of that money? Are we going to get a good return on investment there? Do I think that our COVID sales are our peak sales? What happens after COVID? Are people going to be sick of baking? Yeah, it's a hard time to gauge it because it, it was such a weird time in the world that you're like, this data isn't necessarily normal. I can't base everything yeah 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 it was really it was a really tough time I guess the other thing that I questioned a bit was we were growing we're expanding but at the end of the day it's called FMCG for a reason it's fast moving consumer goods and you need the fast and fast moving and baking products are a slower moving product so to scale we were going to have to, you know, go into additional markets and build that way or launch new products that had a higher rate of sale. So I guess to give some context, maybe the top selling baking mix might have been five units per week per store that it would sell. In frozen fruit, it might be 50 units per week per store. So there's a really big difference there. Yeah, I didn't think about that because obviously it's not a pasta or a frozen fruit. You're baking usually for an occasion or a you're not getting one every week in your shopping necessarily. Yeah. 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 And what were the steps to scale? And that was also quite daunting. So I made the decision to to sell and it was a really tough decision, to be honest. And there were a lot of tears. Are you just getting advice from all sorts of people at that yeah. point? What do I do? Because I guess it solely did, it is still your decision, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's your baby, but you must have, that ha- that must have been an intense process of seeking advice and thinking. And- oh, I talked to everyone. Obviously, I then I got ditched the lawyer that gave us the bad advice, got us, got a great um, IP lawyer, talking to all my friends about it, family, other kind of people in the business world, you name it, just to get thoughts, insight. Because, the, yeah, like I said, there were a lot of big questions it, it brought up. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I did choose to sell and I had a contact at Mrs. Rogers, who said that they might be looking to expand into the baking categories, approached them and they were interested and ended up purchasing the business. They also wanted to bring it in under their brand name. So the fact that I couldn't really sell the brand equity was okay. Yeah, it was okay. Look, it wasn't perfect and I didn't sell it for as much as I would have been able to because so much of the value of what I'd built was the brand brand. yeah that that was pretty devastating but it was still amazing to be able to sell it into you know a New Zealand company Mm. and I think it's been pretty successful for them in terms of expanding the baking category for them telling the team was honestly one of the hardest things I've ever done I was really trying to hold back tears myself because I was still coming to terms with it but yeah it, it was yeah it was a really tough year to be honest 21 in terms of you know business and personal and and everything but selling Hill Street and that whole process did lead to the next chapter for me and to something potentially even more amazing and I am a bit of a believer in fate or things being kismet and timing and whatnot so 
I do think it all happened for a reason. And it was funny, all of this was happening, obviously, in 2021. So we're still in the midst of COVID. And I had just built my house down in Wanaka. And I built it as like an Airbnb investment property, holiday home type thing. But I actually got stuck down here. And I always thought, cool, one day I'll move there. But I had no intention of moving there at the time. And actually got stuck down here when Auckland had that awful lockdown that went on for months. I was so happy to be stuck down here and genuinely stuck, not like that. the people that made it into the news. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 not fake stuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so the sale of the business and all of this was really coming to a head while I was down here. And so when I came to the end of three months and the lockdown was ended, I'd really honestly taken a big hard look at my life and what I was doing and thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I decided to actually stay in Wanaka and live down here. And just one of the best decisions of my life in terms of I'm so happy when I'm in the outdoors. And I remember making that decision and then walking one of my favorite walks here to Diamond Lake, the viewpoint up there, and literally just crying at the top and being like, I get to live here now. I mean, like, look at this amazing opportunity that I was pretty tied to Auckland with the business, so I wouldn't have moved down here otherwise. Mm. And choosing to look at, at those positives and I met my partner down here and love my life down here and it's led to the next chapter. And then obviously I sold Hill Street and the question was, what's next? I always intended to take a break. To be honest, I was quite burnt out. Mm, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, but didn't take a break. Yeah. Did uh, you get any break? No, no break. Right. I actually worked two jobs at the same time for a while right. um, yeah. while I was handing over Hill Street. And I, at the same time that was happening, the GM left from my family business, my, my parents' company that they'd built. And so they pitched to me and my brothers as well come in and take that over it needs a shake up we feel like you'd be a really good fit you've got the experience but I was a little less sure one I think I'd had a bit of a knock in terms of confidence confidence you know after the year of 2021 but and also it was a huge step change Um, so your parents weren't were they not managing the business at that point they had someone managing the business yep. for them and then they're just overseeing board that kind yep. of yep. vibe exactly. yeah exactly. and do your brothers work in the business no they no. don't they work in property and then but they've got an interest obviously because yeah they're on the board so they're involved at that level um, but I'm the only one who's working uh, in the day-to-day of the business now who's in the family makes so much sense actually when you look at it like that right? Like you've got that experience. Yeah. I can imagine it would have been a big, do I want to? Yeah. And it was. I actually, I took a bit of convincing to be honest. (laughs) And I, again, I'd always imagined that I would build something from scratch, but I think I said yes. And it turns out, I think walking into an existing business and shaping that for the future and making change within an existing business is actually just as exciting Mm -hmm. as starting one from scratch it has really different challenges different opportunities but it's just as cool and there's something really special about watching my parents build this business for 20 years and then I get to come in and and take that on and be the change and the innovation for the next 20 years um, or or however long so tell me a little bit you gave an overview of FSL at the beginning Mm. but could you give a little bit more of an overview about FSL as a business, a 
brief summary of of that 20 years that your parents had started it and then where it was at and what they were wanting to do with it when you took over. Yeah, sure. So I guess going back 20 years, mum and dad, to mum's family have been uh, berry growers for a long time, since the 1930s. My great-granddad planted the first raspberry crop in Nelson, Tasman, and that family's, that farm, sorry, is still in the family today, run by my kind of uncle, aunties, cousins. Uh, My parents also dipped their toe into berry growing and had farms in Tasman and Tapawera. But I would say that they are definitely better at business than farming. (laughs) Yeah. And it was in the kind of the early 2000s that frozen fruit came into the market. It was actually quite new, right? You've just always bought fresh and you've dealt with the seasonality. So I guess they saw a real opportunity then to start a business that provided affordable fruit year round because before frozen fruit, that wasn't really a thing. You were literally just orchards or supermarket, like side of the road orchards in summer or supermarket fruit. Yeah, yeah. And and it also, the price changed hugely, whether it was in season or not in season. The goal of frozen fruit and veg is to provide consistency, to make that affordable, to reduce waste, all of those great things. They sold the farms and built up FSL. Oh, so they sold the yeah. farms. They weren't like supplying their own business. They were like, actually, no, we won't do the farming thing. We'll yeah. be the manufacturers, the producers. Yeah. The, Best decision yeah. they ever made. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they started there. It was like a two-man band back in the day and then introduced the first retail brand, which was Fruzio in the early 2000s sometime. And then it has grown and built from there. And I think buying frozen fruit and veg has just grown in popularity for those reasons it's affordable you don't have the waste like how much does it kill you to look in your fridge and think oh shit I didn't eat that in time and now what am I I gonna have to throw that away frozen kind of eliminates that so it's gone from strength to strength over the years and they've introduced other brands so we sell about 80% into retail so into supermarkets and then about 20% into food service or kind of industrial customers. So right. that means we are selling to restaurants and, and things like that that use frozen fruit and veg. And so how many brands does FSL have today? It has four brands. Yeah. Yeah. Fruzio, Goodness Kitchen, The Berry Fix, and Barnaco, which is our f- food service brand. So I guess we're a house of brands rather than a branded house. Yes. And so a lot of what we do is actually logistics as well. So in terms of we bring in and we import a lot of fruit, we obviously source locally as well, but there's such a shortage in supply in New Zealand. And also a lot of things you can't grow in New Zealand, like mango mm. or whatever. So we import a lot of fruit and, and veg and then we pack and process it in our Nelson factory and then on sale that to, to supermarkets and to Kiwi shoppers ultimately. And so you come in and what was your remit or like your, obviously it's to keep the business going and to, like you said, future-proof the business, but were there any sort of key things you had to get cracking on straight away or? So I came in actually as head of sales and marketing for the first year and that was quite a conscious decision. I didn't want to, I wanted to have the option to leave if it wasn't the right fit. And it's very disruptive to come in as managing director and then leave after a year. So we felt like that was a better test. But then I really loved it. I think a lot of the change for me 
I really wanted to build up a culture within the business where people love being part of the business. And I think that goes from right from suppliers supplying us fruit and veg through to people working in the business, through to people buying our products and being proud to buy our products. Just a, some, a business that people want to be a part of. So that was really my core focus when I came in. And there's been so much change in terms of our team, our direction, I think. I'm very forward-looking and I'm always looking at innovating. What are the next trends? I travel a lot to overseas to check out food expos and what's working in supermarkets there and what's new and exciting that we can bring to the New Zealand market. So we've got, as an example, we're rolling out at the moment our Goodness Kitchen Choc Bites. And that was inspired by traveling actually just after COVID, I was probably on one of the first flights out after COVID. Yeah, you're like, and I'm gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just really noticed a trend towards snacking and, and using frozen fruit and snacks. So, yeah, we're launching this beautiful product. They're basically chocolate-coated frozen fruit. So it's like if you Yum. think of your, the summer classic of chocolate-coated strawberries, mm. it's providing that year round. Year round. So yeah. it's almost going back to that same premise as to why mum and dad started the business but it's okay how do we take that and and move that into the next 20 years or what's the next iteration of that so that's a big focus for me at the moment it's so exciting there's so much scope isn't there and it's funny just going back to the culture piece I think kind of culture and comms and building that up within a business is quite a on paper, quite a new thing. I know all the all these legacy businesses have been doing it naturally over the years, but actually having a conscious decision to think about culture and how it relates to brand and business and all that is something that is I've noticed in the last five to ten years is becoming more and more important and is critical really for businesses going forward because the culture of the business, people being happy working in it and loving what they do is wrapped up in brand product everything isn't it and I think a lot of these businesses you see that have been around for ages they were just getting the product out and now it's no we actually have to think about this stuff and consider it in every aspect yeah and I think in some ways it's a lot easier to create that culture in a startup because you're hiring every single person when you come into an existing business, it's a real process um, mm. because you're bringing an existing team on the journey and then new hires and you're trying to build a culture and it really does have to start with you. And so th- that's something I'm very focused on. I want to love coming to work every day and I want everyone else to love coming to work as well. Mm. Mm. And it is always, it is hard coming in, isn't it? Especially when you've got people that have worked as somewhere for a long time or whatever and you're like, right, here's the new jazzy ideas. And yeah, like, oh, yeah, exactly. Like so like very, you know? <laughs> very conscious of that. And I think, yeah. yeah, something I always try and focus on is encouraging the team, no matter whether they're working in the factory or in procurement or in sales or whatever, to all bring their ideas to the table and all yeah. feed into the strategy because that's how you ultimately get buy-in is that everyone is working towards the same goal and they can see what that goal is. It must be so much learning for you as well, right? You must be living and breathing this. It, it, it must be constantly going, okay, what do I do here? How do I approach this? Yeah. Yeah. Do you business mentors or anything like that? Yeah, I work with Toss Gromley and he's a great kind of business coach or consultant. 
And you know what? It's so helpful, especially because it's you know a family-owned company, right? To so have someone who's totally removed, and sometimes you can just bounce things off or see how you're tracking. Um, so I think that's really helpful to have that external source or someone to talk to or business mentor. I think the other really cool thing about this industry is people are so willing to chat to you. Whenever, like when we were trying to get our chop bites concept off the ground, we're calling businesses to say, hey, how do you like do your chocolate and roving process? How do you do this? Who's the best chocolate supplier? And people are so forthcoming and they want to help you because we're not really competing. We're all in it together to provide awesome products to Kiwi shoppers. We're like one team, one dream. So definitely no matter what industry you're in, I think it's always better to be kind of collaborative and ask questions rather than try and hold it in. Hold it all in yourself. Yeah, because you learn so much and nobody knows everything and I've got so much left to learn. But yes, it was a steep learning curve coming in. I I think just going from a small team to um, a much larger team was probably the biggest step change and then just the the volume that you're dealing with and the dollar values that you're dealing with was a big step change too. Oh yeah, I can only imagine. But I also can see where that excitement, I can see even just, I can see talking to you in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, that would be so cool. There's so much opportunity, so much scope and so much growth opportunity for you. Yeah, and I think you you have a base as well to build off. Again, when you start up, it's your kind of scraping for funding or trying to find investment and to actually go into an existing business we turn over around 30 mil so you've got a really like strong base yes to start with and to build from there it's funny I always thought that I wanted to do a startup but actually I've decided as I'm getting older I still don't have said business but I've decided now that I think I would like to buy a business because I, I've realized that I don't want I don't want to come up with the idea. I like the idea of taking a base and growing it because yeah. you, there's, you've got some foundations to start with and you can use the good parts and the not so good with the challenges or whatever and grow from there. I do think it is a it's a good place to be no totally agree and I think if I was going to do it again now or we were looking to expand it would be yeah probably purchasing an existing business because you also build up your knowledge base so that you can take a business that's Mm. had maybe different leadership or things have been done differently and you can see what needs to change or the pathway to get it to profitability or to make a a change and, and grow it so yeah I think both options are great in terms of there is a bit of a stigma against buying an existing business. It's quite funny that you know, people yeah. really want to build one from scratch. but It's probably, the, and then you talk to the people that have built it from scratch and they're like, no, we're cool, we'll buy one. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's that Kiwi Lovely. entrepreneurial, it's like you've got that, I want to do it, I want it to be mine. And then yeah, yeah. anyone that's actually done it and they're like, yeah, no, it's cool. Do you know what? I've done it once and I'm like, oh, maybe once is enough. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay, let's talk about typical day week for you. So you're in Wanaka. Part of your team are in Nelson and part are in Auckland. So we talked a bit offline that there's a lot of moving around for you. <laughs> yeah. So my weeks and days vary a lot. Obviously, right now I'm in Wanaka working at home. I'm also in Nelson once or twice a month with our Auckland team at least once a month as well. So I am moving around a bit. Who's, who is where? What, what roles? So Nelson in? is mainly our finance and operations team. So that's where our factory is our logistics hub, 
And then in Auckland, we have more of our sales and procurement team. And then I'm based in Wanaka and our marketing manager is in Queenstown. So (laughs) we're quite spread out, but I very much went down the path of I want the best people and not, you know, I'm I'm not going to limit it to a location. And I really think that working remotely, you can achieve the same. It does require a high level, higher level of communication. And I spend a lot of my days communicating, (laughs) catching up with people, what we're building and creating and having the right team worth it. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, so what is, in terms of the breakdown of your role, what sort of things are you working on? Yeah, so I guess my normal day is I'm quite an early bird, so I get up early, I walk out pups, TV. It's pretty dark in the morning at the moment, so sometimes I have a head torch. <laughs> right. <laughs> One yeah, of those losers. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the morning, early morning is definitely my best thinking time, so I try and do things that are more like strategic or analytical in the morning. And then... I guess I shift into probably catching up with the team and meetings. And the cool thing is is I can be talking about production one second, logistics the next, marketing, sales. Like it really covers all bases. And I think that's the thing I love about my role the most is that no two days are the same. You're always talking or thinking about a different problem and a different opportunity and trying to find a solution. At the end of the day, I feel like my role is setting the strategy and working with the team to deliver that and then probably problem solving (laughs) is the the other part. I love it. Values and ethos that drive FSL. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think when my parents first started the company, again, it was about providing affordable for year round. And I think at the core of our business, that's still what we're trying to deliver. It's still a wholly family owned and run business. I think a lot of our family values run through that as well. Like we would always want to be producing healthy products and that align with those values. I think something else that is very instilled within my family is probably, or actually I'll, I'll say, I guess, one of the constants within the business and within my family is that we do love change and innovation and we're not afraid of change or a challenge. So I think one of the core values is innovation and constantly challenging and changing. And that could be challenging ourselves to be a more sustainable business or that could be delivering true innovation to the category and introducing totally new products to New Zealand shoppers. That can take so many forms but I think at the heart of the business, that's a really key one for us. And in my family, personally, we definitely are, are taking a few risks in the business with new launches and times are tough and, and people don't have big dollars to go around at the moment. So to be launching and innovating now is a risk. I have the full support of my family in that. I'm never pitching to them, oh my God, I've got this big idea. And they're going, no, they're more going, okay, well, let's just sense check it and make sure that's a calculated risk. They're on board for the change and the innovation. So, yeah. And I guess that's all part of why you would want to work within the family business. Yeah, exactly. People often ask me, what's it like working with family and that change from being out on your own to being very in the fold now? And I've also got lots of friends and people that I know that work in family businesses. And I think you know, everyone has different experiences, but often you do have that older generation who stay in the business or they're not quite ready to hand over. I was very lucky in that 
my parents are very ready to hand over. Right. <laughs> like waiting. You know, like we don't want to do anything. <laughs> yeah. bit. And we do approach business in the same way. So they feel so mm. comfortable with the decisions that I make. And if I'm unsure, they're such a great sounding board. So I actually really love running the family business and, and having that sounding board and, and people who are just as invested in it as I am to talk mm. to, which is actually quite a unique thing. It's like having a founding partner or something. <laughs> yes. I was going to ask you about that because I too have worked alongside and I know a lot of family businesses and where people from the family work within the business. And like you say, with ve- at varying different levels and whatever. And do you, when you when your family started that process, obviously, like you said, you've got family members on the board and all that kind of thing. But did the family work with someone external to look at the structure of the business? And because one of the things often is, yes, you're running it, but who does the buck stop? Because I, which I guess is like a normal business anyway. But when there's family, there's emotions involved. On yeah. top of that, did you work with external people to look at that structure or succession planning and all that kind of thing? We didn't really, to be honest. We did go external just to look at fair salary and all of that stuff rather than fight that out. Yes. <laughs> Which I think is actually really important yeah. Yeah. for the rest of the business as well that they know that mum and dad aren't just going, Yeah, exactly. Oh, Kelly can do it and we'll pay her a kajillion dollars. <laughs> yeah. That's, like, it's got to be right. right. Yeah. <laughs> no, we looked at what was market rate and what's fair. And I guess I worked with Toss, my business coach as well around, I call what are the next steps and what do I need to think about? But it was actually quite a smooth transition, to be honest. And yeah, they were just all so supportive. I had my brothers calling me up and being like, really think you should do this. This is they're like, you're yeah, made for that. Takes it off us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, we would have just got another GM in there to run it. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a family member. No. But it's pretty special. And I know it means a lot to my parents as well to see it going through the next generation. Absolutely. <laughs> because that's something that they've built and it's so precious to them on so many levels. It's yeah. nice to know that legacy continues, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you've had a variety of business experience at this point. Highlights for you and your career so far? (sighs) Highlights. I feel like the highlights in Hill Street were the validation of the concept and the branding and all the work I put in. So that was getting kind of core ranging and Woolworths and just seeing how much people loved the brand like selling in e-commerce you get that real one-on-one interaction same within social where people just every day we get these like beautiful messages of people saying how much they love the brand I think so that's probably the highlight for me there in FSL I think it's probably watching the business evolve and aligning with kind of the strategic direction that I've got. So it's, it's really exciting. It doesn't happen overnight. No. An everyday process. But yeah, sometimes you step back and you think, oh shit, we just achieved that. And we actually were talking about that for a year and we've just mm. gone and done it. So it's like the gradual things. And you're probably at a nice point in it now because you are a couple of years in. So some of, like you say, some of those things that you talked about at the beginning or you're seeing some of these things come to fruition and yeah yeah that's cool yeah and launching chop bites as well that was my 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 brainchild from last year and seeing that we took that right from an idea and a concept 
to trialing the machinery, to investing in the machinery, to all of the steps. And that's just launched in the last couple of yeah, weeks? Yeah, in the last, that, right? Yeah, last couple of weeks. So it's literally our launch week this week. And oh, the sales data already is so amazing. Again, it's really cool to just get that validation of, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't a crazy idea. That's cool. So that's a personal kind of something that you've taken from beginning to end yeah beginning that's to probably one of one of the first like big commercial projects that I've taken from beginning to end in FSL in that time because they do take years to, mm. to roll yeah. out so yeah really proud of that one and what the the team have done and the brandings you know awesome again we really invested in that so just excited to see how people adopt that product in their day to day life great I have a personal interest in marketing. It's my background. So I'm always interested to see how people approach marketing within their business, their marketing mix, what works for them, what doesn't. So can you talk a little bit around, because obviously FSL, again, it's, it's a house of brands, but then you've also got these retail brands that, yeah, do you market them directly to consumer? How does that all work for you guys? We do, and we have different strategies for different brands. So some of them are, um, push marketing, where it's probably led by, if we look at the Berry Fix, that's really all about affordability as well. So we offer bulk packs so that we can deliver it at a, um, a lower price. And that's really push marketing, right? But we also do, for some of our brands, have a lot more kind of pull marketing where we're investing into them. So I think Goodness Kitchen's a really good example where we do put a lot of time and effort into our marketing strategy. So if I take Chop Bites, which is our latest Goodness Kitchen product, we have really invested in PR, digital and social. So coming from a digital marketing background or a marketing background, I 100% you know, believe in the value of marketing and branding. So I guess before we even go into the marketing side, I think it all starts with branding <laughs> when you're launching. It's interesting when you take kind of existing product because again, you make slower iterations to the branding, but Chop Bites is probably our first product where we've come up with the concept from scratch and so we worked with marks on that and they did an amazing job with the packaging and so I think I talked about this a little bit before but you get those couple of seconds to get someone's interest on the shelf or in the freezer for us so you've really got yeah freezer would be even harder right <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to make those seconds count right so I think kind of key learnings on the branding side before I jump into marketing is be really clear on what the product is. You've got those couple of seconds, don't make it confusing. So actually learned this lesson the hard way in Hill Street. One of the ranges that we launched was oh, such cool packaging, but it was quite abstract and it worked really well in like gift retail and online, but in supermarkets, it it just didn't communicate. what People are like, I just want to know if it's brownie. Yeah, it just didn't communicate that fast enough. So with Chop Bites, for example, one of my non-negotiables was I, I want a big, beautiful shot illustration of that beautiful strawberry covered in chocolate. So straight away, when someone looks at that packaging, they know what is inside and then you can have that nice branding around it. But at the end of the day, someone has to know what that product is. And then I think the other kind of key thing at FMCG is just you're know, picking which me messages you're going to focus on. Don't try and put a million things on your pack. Just go, okay, these are my, this is my like unique selling proposition. This is my one thing I'm going to talk about, whether it's gluten-free or low calories or it's New Zealand growing or whatever that is, just focus on that, I think. Do you test that stuff? 
do you give that to people or like what's do yeah you- we don't do full-scale testing but we definitely bounce off lots of people I will bounce off friends family everyone at work gets their say and um, we talk to our category managers to see what they think will work so again pretty collaborative in that process um, and you, you pretty quickly get consistent feedback so we definitely you know the first few ones they were like I don't really get what the product is or that doesn't really look like a blueberry or whatever and you're like that's an easy change we need to change that because you can't work out straight away that's what it is then that's a problem (laughs) yes yeah 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 so I get I think investing a lot in branding and then but yeah there are different strategies for different brands for our latest launch it is PR digital social so we're working with common ground who's live who put us in touch and I think on that side uh, in PR it's growing how do I say this I think kind of the PR landscape has changed quite a lot in recent years in terms of people really love knowing and understanding the people behind the brands and the stories and I personally love reading that too me too I, I like I listen to your podcast for that reason I'm so fascinated what is their journey what is their story why do they do what they do? What's next? All of those questions. So I think in terms of PR, we've focused quite a lot on that and people just understanding, oh, it's a family business and I'm the person behind it and this is what we're trying to achieve. In terms of social, we are doing quite a lot of kind of influencer sends, but it's not about people with big followings. It's more about influential people and People who we actually think are going to love the product at the end of the day and tell people about it. Not We're not just sending for the sake of sending. Yeah. It's funny. I've just had this exact conversation with someone whose episode's going to come out tomorrow. Like I'm actually such a fan of influencer marketing, but I think it's in a, it's in a much nicer space than the wild west it was when it first came out because now we realize it's not about, necessarily the big following it's about the right fit it's about the yeah. person that you are like I just think that this person will might love it and they might tell their friends about it because word of mouth is it's effectively word of mouth isn't it yeah. but you're wanting yeah. the most authentic excuse the buzzword you're wanting the m- most authentic way to do that and so it might be someone that's got 800 followers but they those 800 followers would be like oh I love that Jane's sharing that I'm going to try those and that's right. actually you're pro- possibly going to get more people that way but yeah I'm a big fan of influencer marketing done right yeah well yeah I know we've definitely put a lot into that I think for us because this one's really a new quite a new concept in terms of ah oh, chocolate covered frozen what's that going to taste like so trial is a really big one for us mm-hmm. and that's something that is unique to food and beverage products that you can do that quite easily so sampling in supermarkets or Again, sending to people so that they can actually try and taste. And so we're going to support with a lot of that, going to the food shows, going, being at events, doing all that kind of thing so that people trial, understand, and then tell their friends, you know, oh my God, I tried this new product and it was amazing. Hmm. How do you know how much money to put aside? I guess you work out what your projected sales are and do a percentage. I can probably answer my question. Yeah, we said you go at it from, we went at it from that top level of, okay, well, this is what we want to achieve. This is, yeah, we're going to allocate 10%, say, to marketing. And then we kind of work that and we think, okay, do we want to spread that across six months, 12 months? Do we want to have a really big burst in the three months? So for us, we're investing a lot in the first three months to get that traction and get that trial. And then we'll see what works there. 
I think social is a really interesting one. I had a lot of chats with our marketing manager around how much do we put in? We want to try what works now. The algorithm changes all the time. I think that's a really hard one to know how much. Mm. I actually emailed my um, toss, the business coach, and said, what do you think? Because he runs a marketing agency. It does change because that's the thing what yeah. worked last week doesn't work this week or whatever. And each of the platforms is different as well. And- yeah, and oh, cool week if you actually have a really good piece of content you might not have to put any money behind it and it might go really well or so it's really I think that's hard area to navigate at the moment for for me personally yeah do you put anything into some of the more traditional forms would you do billboards would you do print advertising anything like that we don't really to be honest we've moved away from a lot of that traditional marketing I think in terms of billboards and stuff, it's also, it's a big chunky budget. And it's just so expensive, that. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and you yeah. think about the return on investment and the value of kind of creating content that people can relate to or better understand the use of the product or things like that. I do just see more value in that side rather than rolling out in traditional media. But mm. it, it varies by by different brands and, and different objectives, I think, as well. But for us, yeah, it's too big a spend to justify. Mm. I love for you that I love with this business you get to do your brand that you can make look great and do your digital and stuff. And then you've got the business side of it, the the logistics of running a business and yeah, all of yeah. that kind of like this. I've said it earlier, but it's so cool that you get to do all that. Do you do any marketing for FSL or do you, you I see you rebranded? Yeah, we rebranded yeah. and that was, yeah, friends of friends that did that rebrand for us. And I think we we have been pushing FSL foods a bit more. I think I don't think people know that we're a Nelson company or the the story that we have and how long we've been in business. And that is in part because again, we're a house of brands, not a branded house. So we there's just not that 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 kind of brand recognition. But yeah, I'm I'm really proud of what we're building at FSL Foods and the direction that we're heading so I do want people to know our story and story yeah yeah, for yeah. Sure. no we, we do put some marketing support behind FSL foods as well mm-hmm. that's probably more in just getting the, the content and the photos and rather than putting big dollars behind it necessarily yes, yeah. yeah okay we've talked about this already a little bit there are some big challenges in running businesses. You've talked about some of them that you've faced already. But uh, like in terms of what you're doing, what you're working on now, can you talk a little bit about the challenges of running a, a business like FSL? Yeah, I think, and it's definitely not unique to us. I think talking to any anyone in FMCG over the last few years, it's been a really challenging business environment. We've had cost escalation like I've never seen before but you the cost of our fruit and veg has has gone crazy you know, the, the price of raspberry has increased by over a hundred percent and then you've got supply chain issues increased freight costs increased cost of labor increased cost of hits you left right and center but I think the hard thing in our industry is you can't just pass that 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 cost increase straight on to the end shopper that's it's not the process so at a minimum you are incurring those costs for three months before you can pass any increase on so it's a really tough environment and to be honest last year we we definitely had some months where we struggled to break even and 
I think people look and they're like, oh, the supermarket industry is booming and suppliers must be making a lot of money, but that's just not the reality of how it works. So it was a really tough year and a lot of sleepless nights, to be honest, around how are we going to turn this around? Um, I think we, well, I went with a bit of a two-prong approach. So obviously your first option is to just pass on those increases and and increase um, the price of your product. But we chatted to shoppers and we chatted to stores and at the end of the day, a family or or someone shopping only has a certain budget. So you might have 200 bucks to do your supermarket shop for the week. And for us to increase the the price of frozen fruit, which is actually a really important part of your Especially in this external climate of a cost of living global, like that's the thing, not only it your end yeah exactly like yeah yeah everyone's feeling the pinch we're in such an inflationary environment at the moment that you know that 200 like making those that 200 dollars count is really important you don't have more to add to that weekly spend so we actually chose to rather than increase our price we decreased our pack size which is quite controversial and a lot of admin to do as well to be honest from the business side but we really going back to why mum and dad launched the business, it's affordable fruit year round. So we felt by increasing it again by another few dollars, it was just getting to that tipping point of people can't afford to, to buy that weekly. And then what fruit and veg will they be eating? <laughs> Leads you down that path. We yeah reduced our pack size rather than put up our prices as one side of it, which has helped significantly. We really needed that. Otherwise, ultimately, we wouldn't have a business in a year year time. I think the second thing I really focused on is when times are tough for businesses and when shoppers are feeling the pinch, a lot of businesses tighten their belt a bit, but there's also a lot of opportunity to be had by investing and taking risks during those tough times. It's the same kind of premise as investing in the um, stock market. Yes. Um, so we doubled down and did invest in new machinery and new products that are rolling out this year. So we've gone, okay, on one hand, we're going to try and reduce our pack size, keep it affordable for people, but ultimately we need to claw back some of our <laughs> margin. And yeah. then on the other side, we've gone, okay, we're going to really focus on investing into the future and providing new and exciting experiences and growing the category. So yeah, I think it's definitely been a challenging couple of years, but I feel like we're coming out of it now and into some really exciting opportunities that we've created out of that. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm feeling quite positive about it right now, but if you'd asked me six months ago. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's uh, my husband is in the Kiwi fruit industry. Mm-hmm a lifetime of kiwi fruit and bef- i have had no experience in fruit <laughs> or any kind of horticulture prior to getting married and i just didn't realize and andrew would be like oh it's going to be a frost tomorrow and i'd be like oh get my jacket out yeah. no idea and he'd be so stressed and i would be like what wow chill out and then here's this is our livelihood and we've seen this year with the all the adverse weather events and it's so much goes into these products these businesses this impact in every you know it's like see until tomorrow and see what happens tomorrow and then what will we have then and yeah 
on top of all of everything that's been happening over the last year in terms of the cost of goods, inflation, et cetera, mm. is also the, the climate impacts. Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah, well, we're buying fresh fruit and sourcing fresh fruit and these huge weather changes make a big impact. Yeah, the floods, having early frosts are like the worst thing. <laughs> and right now in Europe, they've just had a terrible cherry season. So I can tell you now it's going to be really hard to get um, supply of cherry for the next year. And that's the same reason that raspberry went up 100%. They had a terrible crop, early frost, too wet. And most of us consumers, us everyday non-court people, yeah. have no idea. You just do go to the supermarket and go, oh, blimmin' egg, that's gone up. You know, and I think maybe with the, everything that's happening now, we, people are starting to understand the impact of all of these things. But it is, yeah. although having said that, then... My husband loves it, loves a good talk back, and he came home <laughs> last night saying we need to be buying all frozen veggies and fruit because it's so much more cost efficient than yeah. buying fresh and all that. There's some good stories coming out yeah. of all of that. Yeah, but I think one that we get asked all the time is why aren't you sourcing all your fruit from New Zealand? But I think there are just every year there are less and less growers because it's such hard yakka. It's really tough and with the, the changing weather patterns, it, get, it gets tougher. And then you have these next generations coming through that are not as keen on. I was going to say there's a lot of that as well. The people that establish their orchards and their farms in the kind of glory days, I know it's never been. Yeah. Good, but And when you could buy land, when you could buy into an orchard, when you could buy and then their family are going, actually, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I want my own life. So, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's probably more suited to a horticultural-based podcast. Yeah, it, no. I have found that quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I'm such a, I have no, I mean, my husband would roll his eyes if he listened to this podcast. <laughs> and heard me trying to talk with authority in this world because I really don't know anything. But yeah. from a layman's perspective, it has been an interesting, it's interesting to watch and understand that world and that it's yeah. Yeah. not quite this, you know, farmers and orchardists just, have it all it's not no, quite as not. simple Sometimes as that putting up prices for fun yeah it means that oh they've actually made no money because it's been a terrible season yeah totally okay so again this is an interesting one for you but looking back with hindsight is there anything you would do differently if you were starting your business journey again I think starting a business from scratch comes with all kinds of opportunities and challenges and I think probably one of my biggest learnings was which opportunities to take and run with because you get so many and they come every day, but they're not all the right fit or it's not always the right time for them. Looking back, I would say maybe we rushed into rolling out in Australia in Hill Street. But in saying that, I do think that these things happen for a reason. And would I change it? Probably not because I learned so much from that process and I am where I am because of that. And we're now also going into that process with FSL around kind of growing our export market and doing, you know, and you can be damn sure I won't be making any of the same mistakes. Yeah. And I guess it's probably less like what you wouldn't do, but it's like that massive learning you've taken. Yeah, you know? And so now I learn how to do it better next time. Exactly, I, yeah. exactly. It's I will take, we'll take our time around okay validating markets being really sure that's the partner that we want to work with 
doing our legal due diligence, all of those things, a really steady approach. Exporting always costs more than you think it's going to. So being really confident that we've got our base revenue and profitability before we take that next step. Yeah, it's definitely lessons hard learned, but those are the best kind of lessons. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah, like you say that now, eh? like now that you're on the other side. (laughs) Best business advice you have received or best business and or best business advice you would pass on? This is business advice I've received, but I would absolutely pass it on as well, is take your time hiring the right people and people that you can learn from. Seek out diversity and kind of creativity and problem solving is always easier and faster when you've got a team that have different perspectives, different backgrounds, different skill sets. Building that right team that's going to deliver is probably like the one of the kind of core building blocks of a successful business. And if right in the early stages, I was hiring my very first hire, which was an operations manager, I think we called it, at Hill Street. I very much recognized, okay, these are my strengths. I'm good at strategy and sales, and but I am not good at process and detail. Mm. And so understanding, okay, I need someone that has those different strengths and can bring that to, to the table. And interviewing Beck, who was our operations manager and actually has moved with me to FSL, really awesome to still work with her. I was almost a little intimidated by how amazing she was at those things. And I thought, I can learn from this person and we will be, both of us will learn together, which is really awesome. I think that's great advice. And and I think it's a skill to be able to listen and learn from people and and humble yourself a bit in a way because you don't know, we don't know everything and we can learn from people better than us. Oh, totally. Yeah, I knew nothing about operations at the time. I was like, cool, these are all the things I do know about, but I've got this big gap. Yeah, of knowledge and that creates risk in a business as well if you blindly go on ignoring that gap you have don't worry I've got this I know what (laughs) we're doing yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know okay some of that like I could just it but (laughs) yeah who or what have been the biggest influences in your business journey to date hands down my parents yeah I think they are They were and are still so entrepreneurial. They take risks, but calculated risks. They've learned lessons the hard way too. They've taken gambles on different product lines and different businesses that have worked out and some that haven't, but they keep just learning and growing and innovating. And I find that really inspiring. So yeah, definitely my, my parents there. And which businesses or brands do you admire? I do, I guess in terms of New Zealand brands, I do really admire what Morgan has done at Boring Oat Milk to be, I personally, I can really relate to her starting with Bonnie and then that evolving into Boring Oat Milk and realizing that you need a, a bit more of a commodity product to actually make it work. I think female founder and just all the amazing things she's doing and the brand that she's created is really cool. The other New Zealand one is probably Fix and Fog for me. Roman is awesome and he really shares a lot of his knowledge. They do talks around how he started the business and things to look for when you're expanding into other markets. And I love that idea of sharing that knowledge. And he's also done an amazing job of scaling that business. If I look 
further afield, like outside of the food industry. Aesop is an amazing brand. So I can't remember when they were established, but I think it was in the 80s maybe. Um, yes, a while ago now. Yeah, and they have stuck to their guns and created this unique product. It's very experiential. Every customer touch point is considered and they've built this huge brand equity from doing that and sticking to their guns and then to sell to L'Oreal for I think it's about $4 billion New Zealand dollars. It's amazing. They were such a game changer brand as yeah, well. And I can't remember the beginning, but I loved them in the 2000s when they were still the most different thing on the market. Oh, totally. And I still buy so many of their products. I love it. And I just think, what a cool story. They really built that up over time. They stuck to their guns. They created something unique and special. But at the end of the day, that's awesome that they sold it as well and got that value for the time and effort that they put in. That's a lot of years of hard business. And <laughs> it is, it's, that is just a, such a great result for all that hard work. Yeah. What is the future for FSL and you and your business journey? Where are you heading and do you have any plans you want to share? We, I think, as, as a business, FSL has a lot of kind of exciting things coming. Can't share them all, but we are definitely focusing on exporting a lot more over the next few years. So we're just going to put the building blocks in place for that, looking to expand into frozen vegetables more, also looking at kind of new innovative products that are new to market in New Zealand, because I think at the end of the day, that's one of the the areas of business that I really love. So I want to keep driving that and keep people engaged and excited in what we do next, just bringing something new and exciting to the market. So I'd say that's what's on the horizon for us for the next few years. Awesome. What are you passionate about besides work? What brings you joy? Oh, getting just getting outside skiing. Obviously, I was talking about I did a couple of years chasing the snow and skiing is a big passion of mine. I left the ski industry obviously a while ago now to move into FMCG, but I always promised myself that every year I would go on a big ski holiday and that I would make the change and switch to doing something for myself and into the industry. But I would always give myself that because right. I think that brings me so much happiness and joy. Okay. What does success look like to you, either personally, professionally, or both? I think professionally, we touched on this, but creating a business that people love being a part of. So that's supplying us, working for us, buying our products at every touch point. I want people to be really engaged and love purchasing our products and just being part of our story I guess personally what I'm trying to achieve at the moment is wait let me reword this I think personally I'm trying to create more time and space for the things that I love and bring me joy and happiness so I definitely, I'll be the first to admit, I do struggle sometimes with work-life balance. <laughs> I love working, but sometimes the hours just sneak up on me and Simon, my partner, was saying, like, have you exercised in the last few days? Have you like, left the house? <laughs> you know? yeah. Or Dad will not so subtly send me an article about some CEO of a $40 billion company and his like really normal day where he gets out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important, isn't it? But it, you can, it's hard to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it's something I constantly have to remind myself of. But I think for me, the ultimate goal personally is to wake up happy and yeah, focus on that and be 
wake up happy and excited to start my day rather than working towards an ever-changing goalpost. So that is the end of all like the big questions. Nice. And thank you so much for sharing that journey. It's a great business journey so far. And yes, it's had some highs and some lows and it's new beginnings and all of it, but so many awesome lessons and yeah, and thank you just for being so generous with your story and answering all my questions because, as I said, I love I love asking all the nosy questions. And I just think you've achieved so much. And I like the Hill Street story, I was interested to hear, but it is just such a small part of your broader journey, isn't it? And what you're doing with FSL is so exciting and inspiring. And yeah, so thank you so much for sharing all that with me. No, I mean, it's awesome to, to share and I hope, people listening take from it that it is definitely a journey. There are uh, highs and lows <laughs> and it's pretty hard sometimes, but also the highs are pretty high and it it's, can be amazing. And I feel like there's also, I've got so much more to learn still and there are so many more parts, so many next steps. I guess. Hopefully life is long and yeah, and it is about all these different, there's all different parts and different times in our lives that different things are happening I'm the same as you I don't have regrets or wishes it's just all builds your story and yeah you take from what probably the worst thing would to do would not to be look back and reflect and, and I think when you can do that and use that to go forward it's the best so the last part is my quick fire faves three items that you could not live without Honestly, I found these quick fire faves the hardest. <laughs> like you could talk about everything else, but not my favorite TV show. Yeah. Okay, three items I couldn't live without is definitely my Earl Grey tea. I literally am like a crazy person. I always have it in my handbag with me. I love it. That is crazy. Um, I feel like I always need to be listening to something like music or podcasts or whatever. So probably some kind of like my AirPods or speaker. And then something else I couldn't live without. Honestly, probably my lip balm. I feel like I apply that about a hundred times a day. I feel like that's me as well. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I love it. Which app for business and or life do we need? Okay. This was the hardest question because I'm not very techy. And honestly, the app I use the most on my phone is probably my calculator. So I looked at what was the most recent app that I downloaded. And like I said before, I'm quite like a weather geek. So I always like to know what weather is coming our way, whether it's like a snowstorm or wind going out on the boat or whatever. And the app that I used a lot in summer was an app called Windy, which tells you the wind direction and strength. So you can decide, oh, cool, should I take the boat out today or should I hike up this mountain or what What should I do? So for all the outdoor slash weather nerds, yes, Windy. Okay. <laughs> which apparently right. I am one now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We'll soon see how many there are. And what have you watched lately that we must see? Do you know what I've been re-watching is Lovesick. It's back on Netflix and it's so funny. It's basically about this guy that passed on an STI and then he has to go back through. Oh, yes, I've heard of it. Yes, okay. Right, yeah, that okay, makes good. it sound weird, but it's yeah. really good. Yeah, okay, <laughs> good. When we're in Wanaka, where should we go to eat or drink? I think if you're looking for like delicious coffee, breakfast, Scroggin is amazing, beautiful interior design as well. Just a really nice place to either work from or go and have breakfast. The interior is almost alpine inspired. So yeah, really nice and cozy. And then for dinner, mutton bird is amazing. So like really innovative kind of seasonal menu um, that changes um, 
frequently. So yeah, always a different experience, but always delicious. Scroggin is our daily go-to when yeah. we're in Wanaka. And I also have been to Mud and Bird and it is delicious. So yeah. I can stand by both of those. What are you currently listening to music-wise? What should I add to my Spotify playlist? I'm, I'm listening to quite a lot of kind of old school music at the moment. So a lot of like Sam Cooke, Ocious Redding, Etta James, that kind of genre. That'd be quite good music to work or just hang out to. Yeah, I love working yeah. to it when I'm cooking, sing to my puppy, <laughs> very <laughs> off off key. But. <laughs> love it. And you mentioned podcasts. Which podcasts apart from this one do you never miss? I listen to a lot of finance podcasts. So that's just another area I really enjoy upskilling and learning. So obviously listen to The Curve. They're amazing, really short conversational chats around kind of finance and what's happening in the market. I actually used to live with Vic in Sydney and Alton. So yeah, they're awesome. Equity Mates is another really good one. Similar premise. They're Australian based. But I think if you want a really deep dive into trends or certain industries, Invest Like the Best is also a really good one. So yeah, obviously a little bit of an investment nerd as well as a weather geek. (laughs) What is your go-to recipe? Are you a foodie? Do you like to cook? What would you cook if I came for dinner? I do love to cook at the moment. My favorite recipe is one from One Pot Pan Planet. Don't know if you've got that cookbook, cookbook, but it's a really delicious kind of fresh pasta, but also really cheap and easy, which I love. So it's um, ricotta, corn. They use Swiss chard. I just sub that for frizzier spinach and some chilies in there. And it's just oh, fresh, delicious. Sounds like a weird combo, but it's amazing. Yeah. I'll get that recipe off you when yeah. the episode goes live. And finally, reading. Do you read? And if so, what should we read next? Uh, I do read, but I, to be honest, haven't had a lot of time to read recently, but I'm going overseas on holiday in September. And so I've been making a big list of recommendations and books to read. And I think my top two, Yellow Face. I don't know that one, but I've heard it's really good. It's on my list. Publishing industry book. And then I'm also a big fan of the Seven Sisters series. Just as like a escapism beach read so atlas the story of pass out yeah yeah i've read it that's good oh good yeah yeah as i was a bit skeptical reading that i devoured the books lucky brian and i was a bit i was like how is she and the son gonna tie this together yeah yeah it was getting it felt like it was getting a bit ridiculous yeah but i do think they did quite a good job i was satisfied at the end oh nice okay any other book recommendations i'm making my list and I've I plan got to read every yes. day and not think about work for a couple of weeks. I'm yes, I've got many. I'll, I can send those to you offline. And where are you going? Where are you going on holiday? I'm going to Europe for four weeks holiday, which I like, can't even remember the last time I took a holiday, and then two weeks of work visiting suppliers and doing food expos and whatnot. So all around like Greece, Israel, Portugal, Spain. France. Yeah. So you can look at everyone's Europe summer picks at the moment and not be too jealous. Yeah, I'm all inspired to get through the next seven weeks or whatever. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Hey, that's it. Thank you so much. I, as I said before, I've loved our chat. I love your journey. I hope Um, it's interesting. I guess it's FSL. People don't know that company or the frozen fruit brands as much, but hopefully it's totally interesting. I think people will get loads out of it. So thank you so much. 
no i really enjoyed the process yes. thank you thank you so much for listening i would love to hear what you think about the podcast and if you wanted to tell your friends about super creative i would just be ever so grateful if you'd like to keep listening please subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you listen and if you wanted to rate and review that would be amazing for more information find us at super creative podcast on instagram and facebook bye